Good news, you're here just in time. Here's another Laneway Talks. Hi, we're here today at Laneway Talks uh, and we're introducing Craig Mackian from Mother Goose. Uh, how are you, Craig? Did you introduce me to Craig McCann then? Craig McCann? Yes. Yes, well, that's very nice of you, Vince. That's because right. um, that um, McCann is actually Scottish Gaelic for um, Johnston. It's, the Mac is son of, and the N is John in Scottish. So that was really good that you remembered that, and you even pronounced it correctly this time. Your official name is Craig McCann. <laughs> No, my, my my real name is Craig Johnston. The McCann is Scottish Gaelic. All right. It's good that we just got that Johnston. out of the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's very complicated. Of course, I used Craig James for my solo stuff, solo stuff which is um, one of my middle names. It's, I know it's been very confusing for Lame Wavers and, and for most people I know. But, right. um Yeah, that's that's the whole story. All right. Well, let's start with um, where did you grow up, uh, Craig? I grew up, I was born in Dunedin in the South Island of New Zealand, hence the Buchan, um, because it's very a very Scottish town. Yeah. Um, and I was brought up in Alexandra, oh, well, actually in Vicargo for a year, and then um, Alexandra and Tebel Otago um, for, for my school days, basically. And so, yeah. we, so, we, so as you're growing up, at what age did you start to really discover music, Craig, where, you know, you thought, this is going to be my life? Um, actually, that's really easy because I, I was always singing along to the top ten and stuff when I, when I was a really little kid. But a lot of, like a lot of people at my age, I, I think it was I was 10 years old when my grandmother sent me uh, the Beatles' I Feel Fine mm. single. Mm. Uh, from a birthday, I was even nine or ten. Um, I'd already been singing sort of around the house stuff since I was a little kid because my father was actually in an operatics, the Invercargill Operatic Society, and he did live shows which I used to go to when I was about five or six. Yeah, and I'd seen my dad dad singing on stage. Um, uh, which had a big influence on me, I, I think. But yes, it was definitely when I when I first heard the Beatles, that was just something clicked to my mind. And I and then my grandmother said me, "I feel fine." Um, and I picked up an acoustic guitar and just started. And well, just started, I wanted uh, to ask you that. Learning were, guitar. Yep. Were you, you know, so were you just a singer, or were you actually a musician first in the sense? And I know I can call him a singer, a musician too. But so was guitar your your instrument that you took up at an early age? Um, I was sort of a singer first, but like I, I, I just sang along to all Beatles songs, and mm. they they were just the, the biggest thing. Um, mm. But then I picked up an acoustic guitar, mm. and I got a few lessons and started strumming acoustic guitar. And then I put it when I was about after the Hard Day's Night album, I think. Uh, I think I was about 12. I was still at primary school. And I put a little band together called The Phantoms, <laughs> which was just three, three 12 year old boys with acoustic guitars. Oh, right. And we did all. And we did all um, all Beatles stuff, yeah, and, and a couple of originals which were really bad, yeah. But um, and we we used to play at restaurants um, around Alex. Um, so yes, that was that was how I started off. Gotcha. Um, and when I was, I think I was thirteen when I got the Sergeant Pepper's album, right. 
and that that just changed my life forever. So tell, I, so tell I me, I don't think I even understood it really, but I knew it, it was just mind-boggling to be that old. So just, was your school musical? Were you at a school where there was a lot of musicians? You know, people that just loved music. I was at a school at a young age where quite a lot of musicians evolved, uh, evolved, yeah, evolved from, and it was and it was very exciting. And I still know a lot of them now. Um, was that the same for you? Um, not really, because mm. I was in a town of 4,000 people. Yeah. Uh, this is real country New Zealand. Um, so it was more more rugby, really. <laughs> you know, rugby's gone in New Zealand. Um, so there the weren't, no, there was not a lot of musical stuff going on at my high school. It was a big um, high school because it covered all, like, a really big area. Yeah. Tago, but, so there was a lot of people there, but there wasn't much musical action. So tell um, me, so you're, I, you're quite unique in that if we think about Mother Goose, you know, and how you conducted yourself, on stage and whatever you weren't just a musician you you know that's not just what you were there was a complete visual now you know um if i could name a dozen artists who are huge and whatever but all they do is they stand there and they sing or play the guitar and that's what they do they don't do anything but yours had a a third dimension to it it really did but that's exactly why we did it because um We'd all been in. Well, at high school, I was in a a, a four-piece sort of rock blues band when yeah. I was about sixteen. Yeah. Um, and that was the same thing. We we just stood there. I, I was I was singing then. Uh, that's before I became a drummer. Mm. Um, and, oh, so you were a drummer too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So look, yeah. So I started off on guitar, but I'm only a rhythm guitarist. So I've never got a be a guitarist, you know, in a rock band. Mm. Um, and, and But we, we all started off around about that age. The other guys were all at Eden um, growing up at the same time as me, and they, they were all in bands and exactly like that, exactly like T-shirt, jeans, and you stand there and you perform. I think that's exactly why when we formed Mother Goose, we, Steve and I were about a university together called Biggles, and... We got the gig to support ELO. Hold on, hold on, you're going a bit too far for me. So we've got, we've got the the band at high school, right? Yeah. Now it was yep. so then you know you go past high school, you get to uni. Is there anything yep. else, or that's what it was? And then you get to uni and you start to meet members who are going to form Mother Goose. Sort of, but it took a while. When I first arrived in Eden, I'd I'd been practicing drums for about a year. Mm. Um, and when I got to first got to when first went to university, mm. um, I hooked up with a guy who was a, a really good blues guitarist who was from Alexandra, mm. um, and, and a bass player, and I and I played drums and sang. And the band was called Lodestone. And so for the first two years at university, I was playing in Lodestone, just you know, raw Gallagher covers and that Johnny oh, Winter. I thought it might have been like stuff. Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons because you were the drummer singing. No, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, no, but actually, it's funny. Peter Gabriel started off as a drummer too. Really? And of course, and of course, Phil Collins and Jed Dennis, they, they both they were for drummers, of course, yeah, at the start. Absolutely. Um, yeah, but um, so I was playing drums for about two years at uni, at uni, 
And then I met Steve, the keyboard player, um, one drunken night at a bar, I think, uh, the keyboard player from Mother Goose. And we put a band together called Biggles. I, I was still on drums and singing. That's and a, unique, a unique name, isn't it? Biggles. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, ki- I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Biggles slides and yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, um, and so Biggles was the was a forerunner to Mother Goose, yeah? Yes, it was really because what happened is we we got the support gig for ELO who were playing at the the Regent and we thought we were all kind of bored with just being in a rock band in T-shirts and jeans. Yeah. Um, And I don't know whether it was my early days of watching my dad on stage in Sinbad the Sailor, you know, in outrageous outfits and singing mm-hmm. things. I don't know where it, where it actually came from, but we decided to dress up in the silliest outfits we could find, mm. the silliest clothes we could find to do the DLO support. And we learned, we did a couple of mimes from um, Spike Jones of the City Slickers from the 1940s. You know, the do the little lazy dozy, that sort of stuff, which we choreographed and did, did on stage, miming to them. I mean, you got, you got, you got guts, Craig. I've got to give it to you because you, you're supporting a band that became one of the biggest bands in the world and you decide on that support to take some risks and you know, and change exactly what you're doing, you know, on stage. Yes, and I, I know it was a risk because it's just not cool. It's not cool to do it no. in, the, in the rock and roll world. No. And we knew all that, but I don't know, it was partly um, sort of Monty Python Scottish sense of humour. Oh, no, it was a, there's a lot of things. But anyway, we, we, we put on these ridiculous outfits, like the bass player was actually turned up in his wife's tennis outfit. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it was really funny. That's the other thing is we wanted to have we wanted to have a bit of fun. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So we, we did this at the Regent Centre in Dunedin, mm. and the crowd actually loved it. Then we walked off stage, and this is a true story. Jeff Lim was actually laughing, <laughs> and, and he came up and shook my hand and said, "That was fucking fantastic." <laughs> <laughs> and from that moment on, yeah. Uh, so I have met Jeff Lynn. I just wanted to fit that in as well. Well, this, this is this is 1973. Mm. Um, and ELO just just got big, you know. Yeah. But um, even I said, well, we're finishing university at the end of next year. What do we put together a professional band? What were you doing um, at uni? I was doing an honours degree in political science and Steve was doing a commerce degree in management or something. Yeah. Which I know sounds odd again as well. No, no, so no, I, no, no, no. I'm a uni person too. Don't you worry about that. Yeah. So I, I actually did uh, my honours degree, but I, I finished my English degree at the same time as I did my honours yeah. in Polk side. Yes. Because um, I, I probably should have done honours in English actually because of... <laughs> You know, just for writing purposes, probably. But but I finished my English degree as well. Yeah. Um, but from that moment, from the from the Biggles gig, mm. Steve and I knew what we had to do, what we wanted to do. Um, and then we wrote. Uh, so in our last year at uni, we wrote a, a whole a rock opera mm. together called Same Old Story, which was formed at the through the university was performed at the Regent Theatre again. Um, uh, so. That's in our, 
at our so arts that's, theater. that's a real start. It's an important, yes, exactly. it's an important little period that you've just gone through for us. That is yeah. the start of Mother Goose, really. Exactly. That's exactly where it came from, from just wanting to do something mm. sort of anti-rock and roll star, really. Mm. It was... We, we don't want to stand on stage in dark glasses and black and black t-shirts and jeans and look and look as cool as possible. It did, just didn't appeal. So you know? so you've got the you've had the gig there, you know, you've done the little bit of a rock opera. So you must what did you do? You all sat down and was that the band yes. at, as such then or did you have to sit down and go no, that, oh, that, that was still, recruit? That was still bills. Right. Um, but in our last year at uni we were recruit recruiting people. Right. And we just we just went for we went for the well, people that we'd known like Pete Dixon and Dennis Gibbons, the bass player yeah. had had been at Bayfield High with Steve. Yes. So they they all got sort of gone to school together, um, and they just happened to be two of the best musicians at Dunedin as well. <laughs> so we we all we already knew them, and then and they had both played in a band with Marcel, who was the best drummer in Dunedin by miles. Yeah. Um, so so we actually started off with two drum kits, sort of like the Doobie Brothers <laughs> too. So because because I play, I was still playing drums. Yeah. Um, so we had two two drum sets on stage, uh, but I used them for about three songs, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a drum solo where Mark and I competed against each other. Oh, yeah, the, the um, traditional drum, I, you know, I've got to tell you honestly, being a drummer myself is, I, I hate drum solos. I just, I, but, you know, yeah. it was a it was a done thing back then. You had to have a drum solo. No, but this was irresistible because, <laughs> um, because I, I agree with you, but. What we did was I'd run up on the drums and then do a really fancy drum fill, and then Marcel would do it twice the speed, <laughs> uh, and then and then I'd do something else, and then he'd do it but twice good, and that went on for ages until I pulled out these giant drumsticks oh, and no. just smashed the, oh, and just right. smashed the kit to pieces, sure. and then Marcel came into the the William the William Tell overture came on, and Marcel did this whole drum solo over the William Tell overture. It's just too professional. Well, I, there's a question. In this is when did you so when did you consider yeah when did you consider yourself professional was it when you did the um support or was it later on when you started going right we're going to form a band and no it was when we it was we we started rehearsals like two days after Steve and I finished our final university and we didn't want to get a job ever anyway neither of us wanted to get a job oh, whole life. I'm very much so the same mold it was no way I was going to be in an office no such thing as computers back then but in an office just doing an office day job that was never going to happen so that was i and that was my that was my almost my main consideration um really is that i, I sort of looked at my father being town clerk of alexander oh yeah yeah, uh, yeah. and it, i just looked at my parents and thought and my mum was a librarian um, I, I thought i just don't want to live my life like that now, now, craig know? craig let's think about this and some people will laugh at us when we're talking like this and they listen to it um, that so you say your dad's the town clerk. So you know what that the personification yeah. of what comes to mind with all of that is. Uh, so I go to I go to work on a hot day. I wear short pants and long socks and black shoes. I have a tie, and yeah, yeah. then on a Thursday night or maybe Friday night, we go to the pub and we all have drinks and a cigarette, right? <laughs> 
and then you come yep. home yep. and, you know, there's the, the wife is at home and the children and we sit around and we'll have our little meal, okay? And then you might yep. sit, down, yep. sit down after that and smoke a pipe. And it's like, yep. man, it's just not on the cards. It's never going to happen. The horror. <laughs> the horror. Yes. I mean, that's what it was like. That's, uh, yeah, I think from about the age of 13, when I discovered the Beatles, I, I, and especially after when I heard Sgt. Peppers for the first time, I just went, well, I know what I've got to do now, and it's definitely not going to be what my parents have done. No offence. But, um, no, no. I, I just want to, I guess it's road less travelled. Well, you know, you're... you're something exciting. And yeah. something with freedom. Like, if you had to wear your uniform and go to the pub uh, on the same, same day every week, that, that just horrified me too. I just thought, I just want the freedom of actually never getting married as well was, was, was something for me. Um, just so I could be free my entire life to do what I want. Well, I must you say, know? you know, there, there was the pun, sex, drugs and rock and roll, and it's true when you're in the music business and it's, it, it's fun every step of the way. Um, it is. You're very, the and, other you, thing. You know, and you did, and, and you made it. And so, um, so okay, you might not have made it to the world stage, but big band, many yep. records, and everything that went with the pun, uh, I think, would have come with it. And it was just a, it was a great time. And to play live, I could never wait to play live. It was just, oh, let's do oh, it. Any God. gig you could get. The, the, the 70s in Australia. Um, well, you know what it was like, and so it was just—it was just a remarkable time in rock and roll. If you, if you, you think, know, we used to, yeah. in 1977, we were the highest-paid band in Australasia, actually, because okay. Mother Goose was at that time. Well, Frank Savala told me that. Yeah. Um. Uh, so, I guess it's true. But um, you know, we were getting—you play the Village Green mm. on a Wednesday night. Be a queue of 800 people out the door yeah. when you got there. I you think, know. but as you and know, that was the same. It was the same for everyone, like Chisel and Angels, every, everybody in the, in the last seventies. But I mean, you got you got to put in perspective, Craig. Is I, I totally get that, but we lived in a time when there wasn't distractions. It, well, there wasn't enough distractions to get you away from, say, going to the Village Green or wherever. So you could go to a gig Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes Sunday night. Uh, but today, yep. there are so many yeah, distractions. So Sunday afternoon at the Prospect. Hill. Yeah, 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 Prospect yeah. on the Sunday. And, and it, there's so many distractions for younger people these days that... It, it, you have to make decisions. Oh, would I go and see that band or should I be on my phone or should I be on a computer game or should I be doing watching, you know, a Netflix movie? There's all these extras that have come in I know. to what we call entertainment. But, yeah, I know. But what hasn't disappeared um, is that sensation of going to see someone live on stage form music and to, and you know, make it sound so good. And that hasn't changed, but it has for the amount of people or the amount of gigs because of the nature of what's available to them. But, you know, we did, and I don't, I, I hate saying back but, you in, know, back you in know the day. What, Yeah, but what else has changed too, Vince, is that in the 70s and 80s, rock and roll was the centre of our culture. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that was everything. Like you said, people went out four or five days a week and saw a great band. It was the centre of everything. Now, well, social media 
and gymnasium. I think uh, I think it's called Tinder, Tinder, isn't it? Yeah, I think you pick yeah. up a date on because I don't know anything about Tinder, but from yeah. now what I'm learning from people that are using it, it's the pickup. You know, I think it's it the, is. it's yeah. the pickup yeah. for the night, and it's like my yeah, what's going exactly. on here. Um, Mind you, it could, could be easier than the old nightclub thing was, but yeah, well, it's, I well, I, but, I, but I, the I, thing, the trouble is, we're not being in the band. Is, it wasn't, Craig. <laughs> No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, no. So, so let's get back to... They were great days to be in a, in a rock band, though. Uh, those days have gone. Well, let's and go. Like I said, yeah, rock and roll is not the centre of culture anymore. It's social media and gymnasium. That's correct. G- gymnasiums are young people. Yeah, you're right, gymnasiums. Hotels now. Yeah. You know. On every street corner. But I want to drag it back to Mother Goose. So what we've done... Right. Mother Goose, you finished uni, you're, you're rehearsing two days after finishing university and you're rehearsing for Mother Goose. Have you got the band together yet? Uh, yes, we're, we're just waiting for Pete Dexter to get back from Auckland uh, where he's playing in a band with Kevin Stanton called Tra- Transformer. Um, but apart from that, everyone, by the time Steve, Steve and I finished our degrees mm. and finished our finals in 19... 19- 75. Yeah. See, my memory's going now. Yeah? Um, oh, mine is too, don't worry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was your name? Uh, yeah, um, uh, yeah. McCann, I think. <laughs> McCain. <laughs> McCann. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. Um, so the band, uh, so you got the band together, you're rehearsing. Yeah, so we've got Marcel mm. at Dwarf the rhythm guitarist, who yeah. had been a friend of mine in Dunedin for about four years. Um, uh, so the second guitarist, and he was the first person we asked because he's hilarious. Um, he's he's a really funny man, uh, and we, we, like I said, we wanted to have fun. And he but but how long you re- how long are you rehearsing for, Craig? Was it a couple so then, of months? So then, so then Pete gets back from Auckland and he's straight into the band. He's really excited, and of course. Uh, Marcel and Dennis have both seen Biggles at the ELO concert, of course, and they they just love what we did. So we went into rehearsals in oh, September, October 1975, uh, and I'm in rehearsals. We, we locked ourselves in the Dunedin Highland Pipe Band room uh, for about six weeks, eight hours a day. Uh, nice. It was really full on, yeah. especially when you're drinking at night, you know. Um, That's, so, a um, That's a lot of work. Oh, yeah. So we, we did a hell of a lot of work. We, we I can't remember exactly how we came up with the name Mother Goose, but it just sounded, it sounded stupid. It sounded very un-rock and roll. It sounded sort of theatrical, I guess. So we all agreed on the name. And then we said to everyone, now everyone go home, come back tomorrow wearing the silliest things you can, you can find. Um, and I actually went up to my Auntie Phyllis's house and got a purple, purple um, outfit and a mm. pink hat. Um, and everyone just got these ridiculous things, um, which made us laugh because we were rehearsed in these costumes and we just looked ridiculous. So essentially, which is exactly what we wanted. Yeah, Mother Goose yep. are there yep. getting so ready. We, so, yep. Right. So we rehearsed the whole thing for six yep. weeks solid. Where's your first gig? Uh, and our first gig was in North Nightclub in Dunedin at the end of 1975. Now, how long, how long did you stay in New Zealand as Mother Goose then? You well, by, by then we'd settled on the sailors to the Bumblebee suit mm. um, and the, the Minnie Mouse and the Pixie and the Tutu and the baby costumes. Mm. Even though Pete actually didn't want to wear the baby costume, but he, when he put it on, he realised it was perfect. So <laughs> so we, we, we rehearsed really hard. We choreographed stuff. And, you know, there was sort of that 
Charlie Chaplin, Keystone Cops type type running around and yeah, that's doing a good way of putting it. Yeah. yeah, it was kind of like that. Um, so what so, so looked like. How long are you gigging for? We how long yeah. are you gigging for in New Zealand? So we're gigging. So we did our first gig in Dunedin, and we invite the record company. But only one guy turned up <laughs> uh, from from EMI, Alan mm. Galbraith, um, and he actually gave us one single deal at our first gig. Right. Uh, so and then we were on the road uh, for six months in New Zealand. At the end of six months, we recorded baked beans at a ballad, uh, and that's in New Zealand. It. So baked beans, yes, so we, in New Zealand. We've we did the first film clip for baked beans in New Zealand, actually, yeah. and recorded it with Alan Galbraith, um, and so that was released in New Zealand. But it was only a one single deal, so we were free to um, uh, free to to get a record deal. So, so, so were you travelling over to here by then? That's exactly what, when that happened. When that happened... Um, was Dragon coming over at the same time? Dragon was already there. Dr- Dragon was there about a year year or two earlier. Right. Yeah. So yeah. You, you're going so across so the early, Tasman there. So in early Tasman, 76... Whatever it is. Yeah, early 76, I flew over. Yeah. And I had a couple... I had the film clip for Baked Beans and a couple of other live film clips. Um, so I went to see Orgid Gadinsky. So why, 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 why see Gadinsky? Why, why didn't see somebody else? Why Gadinsky? Look at the... Um, you know, that's a good question. Did someone know I, him? I, did, I, did you get introduced to the guy? Or? No, no. I, I made about 20 phone calls. Um, and He's, the, only, he's people, the only one that picked up. Well, more or less, the only two people who agreed to see me was um, Michael and Glenn Wheatley. Oh, I think it was also the Skyhooks thing with, yeah. with Mushroom. Yeah. Yep. You know, that sort of attracted makes us. Makes sense, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because we, we like Skyhooks, and they, and... and, was and Sky, the tell me something, tell me know. something. Uh, was Skyhooks known in New Zealand or never made it over there? Um, not, no, not very big. But so. not, not many Australian bands were at that stage. There was yeah. almost like, there was a huge, you know, across the ditch. It was more than a ditch. It was thousands of miles to yeah. us in those yeah. days. But there wasn't a lot of stuff going on between the two countries, really. The Skyhooks were known, and so was Sherman. But that, that's about where it ended. So you, you know? meet, so you meet Gidinski, yeah? You don't meet Glenn Wheatley? Yes. So I came to Melbourne, really nervous with my little briefcase and not knowing what, what the hell was going on. Um, well, I'll tell you, the little briefcase, very interesting you should bring that up. Because when I went to work for Mushroom first, for Michael, um, who used to come past my office every day was Red Simons with a briefcase, okay? This oh, used, really? Yeah, this used to happen at least three times a week. And then one day I said, uh, I said, Red, what, what do you carry in there? He said, that's my lunch. <laughs> he continued to walk. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you've got the briefcase, you see. Yeah, I've got the briefcase with the, the, tape, big, with the tape and, yeah. the, and some videos. Yeah. And I went, I, I went to see Michael, um, and it, he was okay, sort of bustling around the office saying, what the hell is this? No, when he watched the video. Um, didn't quite get his head around it. And I said, well, you know, it's a bit like Skyhawks, but the band's really good. And he said, oh, yeah, look, he said, look, let, leave it with me. Yeah. And I said, look, we're, we're going to come to Australia this year um, anyway. Um, so will you come to a live gig? And he said, yep, yeah, I will. So then I went to talk, 
Glenn Wetley, and Glenn was about the same. People were very, very shocked to see a guy in a sailor suit and a keyboard player in a tutu. Just, you know, it didn't. Yeah, it was what hard. If, what to if you think about it? The tube. You know? I'm not sure the tubes were even going by that stage, were they in Canada? And that probably is close as that shock kind of show. Exactly. Uh, you know, like yourselves. Actually, I know it was a different show, but it was still a shock show. I actually spent a whole night in a, a, a room at the Chateau Marmont in LA with, with restyles from the tube. Terrific band. Uh, oh, they were amazing. And they were a big influence on us, actually. Wow. Uh, uh, early tubes. And I still reckon the completion backward principles were the best American rock albums of I all time. I did... Um I, I put out the I, I packaged up the night moves and sort of Andy Durant is um, yeah yeah I, I did all those EP'd those for DVD anyway we I was putting together the night moves and I found on some old tapes we had some tubes footage which was terrific now this is how the story goes so I wrote I wrote over to them and I got the lawyers to you know, write to them and and he, he came the singer came back and. And he said, I've never seen this footage before. He said, yes, of course you can use it, you know. And oh, wow. And what happened was um, the whole thing together, and I forgot about it. What's his name? God, his name. Oh, I've forgotten his name. I've forgotten it. Restops was, was the girl. You know, but, um, well, he, he, I, 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 forgot, I forgot to add it to the uh, Nightmares DVD compilation. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I was so upset about that. Is it on Night Moose compilation? It's not. I forgot forgot to put it on there. I got to the end of it and we packaged it all up. I went, oh, I forgot to put the tubes on there. Thanks for that. Anyway. um, Well, you put put us on it anyway. Did I I put you on there? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh, great. Yeah, see if I care and um, All right, there's there. about three songs on there. There you go. See, I uh, was looking yeah. after you right from then. I didn't know you. Thanks. So, you're still looking after me, <laughs> well, Fantastic. So, therefore, you, you, so Glenn's the same. So, uh, so you all fly so, over yeah, here. So, Glenn, Glenn's sort of the same. Hmm. And so, Glenn says to me, but look, would you like to go and see Little River Band tonight? <laughs> and I said, oh, that'd, that'd be great. Yeah. And, and come backstage, yeah. they, were, they were on at the Dallas Books Theatre. So I went, went to see them. It was when... Um, uh, Johnny had joined? Uh, no, it was when... No, no, no. This is 1976. Right, so Glenn Shaw. Oh, Rick Formosa. Rick Formosa yeah. was a guitarist. Yeah, yeah, terrific guitarist. Uh, it, was, it was Glenn, Glenn singing. Um, and he said, he said, gave me two tickets, but I only needed one. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> I went to the gig that night at Dallas Brooks and I was absolutely blown away, blown to smithereens. Went back to New Zealand, said we've got to rehearse for three more months. And we've got to get to Australia. Yeah, and we're going to Australia. Right. So you get we up, so back, you, so We you, went back to the Dunedin Holland Pipe Band, got, yeah. got all new outfits made up, like really good outfits instead yeah. of scrappy old ones, um, and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed for three months until, we, until I thought we were good enough to go. So that was uh, it. You trek over here, yeah. right? I didn't realise at that time that most bands at Australia weren't actually as good as LRB because they were they were phenomenal. Yeah. That was the time of the After Hours album. Yeah, terrific record, still, that one. Oh, still my one of my top three Australian albums great, of all time. Great, great production on it too. The production oh, was crystal awesome. clear. Um, and some of those songs. Oh, I was only listening day, to it yesterday. Days on the road. Yeah, yesterday. Oh, really, yeah. Now, so we awesome. can, we'll keep this so, moving. So, so you come, come back over. to Australia. Yeah. Yeah, come back to Australia. We actually landed in Brisbane and they confiscated all our gear because right. we didn't have, uh, you're supposed to get clearance for a PA and, and oh, yeah. drum kits. <laughs> 
Um, so that was all confiscated. So we had about a month, took us about a month to get that out of the... Customs. Out, out of customs. And then we started playing. So this is about... But how did you get, how did you get gigs? When you, you come over here, how did you get any gigs? We, we actually flew over a guy called... Um, Ivan Damon, who had a big circuit of sort of nightclub gigs in a, a, for the whole of Australia. Uh, we flew him to Christchurch and played a gig at the Aranui, which was just jam-packed. Actually, Kevin Stanton a few years ago said that we, we still hold the record for the for the Aranui, even though my team tried to break it. <laughs> but anyway. I would have thought she not, had would have broken that. Who? She had. Pacifier. You better look that up, all right? Well, she had. I put this. Okay. Go on, so you get us. So you get over. Yeah, so, so we flew on. Sorry, this is going to take hours. Yeah, no. yeah that's um, why yeah, I'm going to keep you rolling along. Yeah, I'm going to keep yeah, you know, rolling along. Yeah, I know. Keep you rolling. Uh, we've got Ivan Damon over and he said, yeah, no worries, Father, after his seventh drum. Um, and uh, he said, fly, come to Brisbane and I'll got you booked the next day. Well, the first month the gigs were blown out because of the because of customs, and we finally got our gear out and we started um, playing in Brisbane. Mm. Which this, is this which is, about, is which is interesting. July August thirty six. It's interesting because you know Brisbane was fairly small too. If we go back to what seventy six seventy seven, yeah, you know it's really Sydney and Melbourne. I mean Brisbane wasn't big. It was big to us. But you're right. It, it wasn't any bigger than Auckland. It didn't feel much bigger than Auckland. But the, the weather was fantastic. Oh, God, yeah. we couldn't yeah. believe it. Yeah, yeah. Like Dunedin's a very cold town. Oh, you know? I've been told that. I've been told it's very cold in New Zealand. Very, very cold. It's very close to the, the South Pole. You know. Oh my God! Uh, yeah, so it. it was like him. So we were we're in a big house with a swimming pool, um, and everything was just fantastic. Um, around in the sun, and then we started playing in Brisbane and at the playroom on the Gold Coast. Yeah, so that was one famous. of our gigs, the yeah, playroom. Famous. Yep. Um, and we kept going back there for years and years after that because we had yeah we had a really great memories of the Gold Coast. We had a lot of fun on the Gold Coast. So. So you've started, um, you start obviously doing East Coast tours, I would suspect, because that's what... No, no, the awful thing was, yeah. um, after we'd done Brisbane, Ivan Damon said, right, next, oh, by the way, while we, 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 we played at the playroom, we flew Gary Spry up from Melbourne. Gary Spry, oh, okay. Yes, I don't know, I don't know where we got Gary's name, oh, God, I think I do. I think Paul Williams from The Mixtures. Yeah, oh, here we go. Yeah, okay. I think the Paul Williams, they were playing at the Gold Coast, on the Gold Coast at the same time. And he came to see the band, and he he, he was from Christchurch, too. He's from New Zealand. Um, I've never met him before, but he came backstage, and he said, God, you guys were great. And we, were talk- we just got talking, and because Gary had managed... Quiet. Um, because Gary had managed the groove or the group, uh, the group, with the Paul, group. Paul Williams of it, yeah, yeah, the group. Um, Paul suggested Gary, so I rang Gary Spry, and Gary flew up the Gold Coast. Mm. He, he loved the band, so then we had Gary as manager. But we had to finish this tour we were doing with Ivan. So after about three months in in Brisbane, um, he said, uh, "Okay, you're off to Perth, Christmas New Year." So we got we got in a couple of beaten up Holdens and. You're serious, you weren't driving across to Perth from Brisbane, were you? Yes. And we got in a... And Pete and I got into uh, the old international truck with a couple of roadies, and we left... We headed to Perth from Brisbane um, in December 1976. Mm. 
uh, with no air conditioning. Fantastic. And remember, we were away from Dineen, and it was like, it was just like hell. Um, it was 45 degrees in the shade across the Nullarbor. It couldn't have possibly and been because, you, know, uh, you know, that's all happening now, isn't it, 45 degrees? Are you telling me it was 45 degrees back then? In the shade in, <laughs> on Nullarbor in 1976, right. I promise. Oh, God. Um, and, yeah, it was just like, it was, yeah, it was, so and we were get, drinking too so much. You get, so you and, get to Perth, right? So we get to Perth, and yeah. we did Perth over, yeah. over Christmas, New Year, um, and then we got out of the Ivan Damon uh, touring thing, mm-hmm. And went to, to Melbourne and signed up, with, uh, signed up with Gary Spry at Premier Artist. And Very then famous. the gig started The the gig started flowing in. And it, when I say we were the highest earning band in Australasia in 1977, yeah. we did over 300 gigs that year. But you, 19- could, you could do two gigs a night, couldn't you? Yes, we were. We, we, were, doing, we were doing a pub and then Gary's. Gary had Bay's nightclub at that oh, time. Yeah. Remember which is the old underground? Yep. You uh, know, the hard thing yeah. about it, think about it, is you had to bring your own PA everywhere and all your equipment. That's a lot of work in one day. Um, we had two PAs set up and we had it. Well, no, no, I think I think Gary had a babe's PA, uh, so we didn't have to do that. But we did have to take all the gear, all the gear from from the pub. Uh, the roadies had to go hell bent for leather, so we oh, could yeah. start at like one a.m. at babe. So you're doing, so you're getting all these gigs, right? So it's all happening yep. now. Tell me, we've got the what's the first album? Yes, so stuffed. During all this, we started pulling really big crowds just because of the out, the outrageous stage show. So we were pulling big, really big crowds in Melbourne. Um, and then I got Michael along for another gig, which he actually came to with Greg McCainch, I think. And Greg told him to sign us. So um, that's how we got to deal with Mushroom. And then we did a national tour, and we came back to Melbourne about mid-'77 and recorded the Suffed album. Where did you record that at, AAV? AAV. Yeah, yep. Armstrong's, yeah. Okay, so that comes out. Is it a hit record? That um, that album went into, t- went into the top 20 in Australia mm-hmm. and Baked Beans is in the top 10 mm-hmm. uh, across Australia. Um, you know, I just found out about five years ago that Dust sold 19,970-something albums. And it was when it was when a gold was twenty thousand, uh, and then then it went up to was it thirty or fifty? No, thirty thousand. Yes, it, it went it went up to that before we only needed to sell thirty more albums at the time. Unbelievable! And I wish I wish I would have told it that because I would have bought. But um, <laughs> and, and I rang I, I rang Mushroom about it in the early nineties and said, but it sold. Because of CD sales, and it sold yeah. way more than 20,000. Yeah. Well, 20, Absolutely. And they, they, they said, no, we can't now because it's 50,000. And I said, but... No, Platinum 70. Platinum was 70. Yeah. So let's not worry so, about what they said because that's not true. But now we've got... Um, so we've got stuffed happening. Why? Yeah. I want to ask you, because you signed to yeah. Mushroom for stuffed. Yes. Why the next album... Don't believe in fairy tales, correct? Yep. Why is that not on Mushroom? It is. But as a signed band? Yeah. Um, well, we only did a one-album deal with Michael, I think. Yeah. Um, Why did it not continue on to another and, album? And there was a clause in it because, look, there was a clause in that contract that said if he didn't place the album overseas, 
overseas within six months. Yeah. I think or the ownership of the album came back to us. You know that was a one in a trillion because um, Michael never really placed records overseas. It was so hard. Even go to the eighties when Mushroom no, had thirty two Australian acts on the books. Thirty two. That's a huge number when you're spending big money. And we still yeah. couldn't crack anything or get them released I overseas. Know. Jimmy Barnes was no. hard to get released overseas. I know. So you're on a winner, essentially, because you you could pull out any time you wanted. Yes, exactly. So what we did, we, we paid for the fairy tales and we leased it to Mushroom. Right. Very and smart so we retained, move. So we retained ownership of that as well. Very smart move. Very financial move. Was that still Gary Spry with you, or had he gone by that stage? Yes. No, no, Gary, Gary was still there. Yeah. Uh, to, so, so after the stuffed album, um, we continued on the road for about, Oh, until, until early 1978, um, uh, and we were, you know, we've played, we've been on the road for uh, a year and a half, just about a year and a half then, yeah. but we were very excited about going overseas. In hindsight, I think we should have probably gone um, London, yeah. but, we, we, but we, we, we got sort of a deal with a company in L.A. Uh, who was that? Um, I'd rather not mention their name, actually, just in case. Uh, but let's just say it was the wrong company you signed with. Oh, there was a lot like that. Yeah, the old Casablanca days. I think a lot of the yeah. underworld was involved and all those things. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Hit the nail on the head yeah. there, actually. Gotcha. Uh, so, um, well, so what happened? So and, you uh, went, so you, where were Brian, you? Brian had Daryl Cott uh, would, be a, would have been able to tell you a lot about that too. But anyway, yeah, we, so we, we were probably a bit – we probably rushed this um, – but you know, we were we were a bunch of overexcited kids from Dunedin, New Zealand. You know, we just wanted to keep it rolling. So we went to LA at about mid nineteen seventy eight. Yeah, and we got we got met at the airport in limousines, two big black limousines by this company. Yeah, and driven up to uh, a house in the Hollywood Hills. Oh my God! Three 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 story house in the Hollywood Hills. Oh, fantastic. Just down below the Hollywood sign. Yeah. Um, and there was like, there was like 14 of us, crew and girlfriends, and it was like a circus. Um, so we're all in the three story house and they gave us keys to a recording, a little 16 track recording studio. And they said, just write some songs and um, do what you like. Knock yourself out and come out with a hit record. Well, yes, which is exactly what, and, and basically come out with a hit record. Yeah. Um, what we try to do as those those seventy eight demos you've just mastered for us. Oh, have I mastered some for you, have I? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were from that little studio called City Lights in um, So now hold on, I I need to get this correct. So you're another band and I do this every time I'm interviewing someone. So there's a there's a whole album recorded, never released. Um no, no, they were just demos we were writing for the They sounded pretty damn good to me, my friend. Better than demos. Yeah, I know. Well, I think we went close to a couple of singles there. But they, they were just rough demos. But they, um, yeah, everyone, for, for by everybody the way, listening, the for everybody listening I don't want you to think we're talking here some kind of garage band demos. These are very well-crafted songs. In this day yeah. and age, they'd be more than adequate for a full-on release. So that's what he's talking about. Okay. Dear Ian, that's actually that's very nice. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, a couple of them are I thought were pretty good. Um, and the um, what's well, almost said their name. The company quite liked them. So what happened? Um, so tell me what happened. Why didn't you put them out? What was the story? Um, we offered a record deal for two percent. 
Oh, two, one of those great deals that happens, yeah. Yeah. The majors yeah, usually do that. They give you these these deals and then they, you know, give you two cents. Yes. And that was after about five months of living in Hollywood Hills too. So we already owed them quite a lot of money. Oh, God. Another old right, right. Um, uh, Obviously so what happened? No. We, we said no. Um, then we were playing the Starwood in LA that, that yeah. the very next night. Um, we were about to, about an hour before we went on stage. Um, I saw ACDC there the, the night before too, actually. Really? Um, that's what I was Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so it was, it was a really good club in LA. Um, about an hour before we went on stage, get, Gary Sprite on a phone call at the club. Saying it was someone from CBS Records who who wanted to see him, so he, he, he rushed out all excited um, off to this meeting with someone at CBS. Um, and uh, about five minutes after he's gone, three guys from company in question yeah. walk in with a briefcase. Yeah, really big Italian guys. It wasn't um, um, it wasn't a uh, say that go on yeah, smiling <laughs> um, uh, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't a violent case, luckily. Uh, but it was a, uh, you know, a, a steel briefcase. Yep. Uh, put the briefcase down. We, we were all changed to ready to go on stage. Um, uh, opened the briefcase, put, put the recording contracts back out, and said, Freddie's willing, to, not, his, not his real name, Freddie's willing to uh, forgive you guys for everything. You know, um, we just want you to sign the contracts now, and we'll just get on with the job. And... I said in a rather shaky voice that we we, we weren't going to sign it. Exactly so did the same you, did contract. Your, did your well. vocal go down a bit? No, no, I won't. I won't sign. <laughs> I won't sign. <laughs> yeah, my, my vocal went up up a lot. Yes, up even higher. Yeah, yes. Um, I don't think so. Uh, we don't want. We don't want to turn up without our manager being here. Um, and and they and he said the little little guy with the cigar said. Um, you don't even have to see your manager again. Well, what did you do? Your jaw dropped it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Freddie's willing to forgive you. Uh, uh, and I said, well, I said, no, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone else just looking at the floor. Yeah. Um, slammed the briefcase closed, and that's the last we ever saw of them. Yeah. Gary got back from the CBS meeting. There was nobody there. Hold on a minute. How did that gig go that night? Really well. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's what I wanted. No, to know. we were we were great. Oh, fantastic. We're more excited. We're more excited than ever. So it was really, really you know how it used to look like a silent movie, Mother yeah. Goose. It was yeah. just so. Yeah, it was even faster than that. <laughs> yeah. Because everything was. We've just. I've just told him I'm not signing, and then you've got CBS <laughs> a, a calling, and so yeah, yeah you're on fire yeah, on yeah. stage. You know, Mar- oh, hey, Marcel was doing ten drum solos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 on fire, and I think we're also because we wanted to get out of town as quickly as possible. Yes. <laughs> so what happened? So we, we've had enough. We've had enough by then. We really have. Uh, um, it's a bit so of money, uh, Gary, Jack. There isn't it? Gary yeah. came back. Yeah, Gary. Gary said, "Yep, there's going from CBS there," and I told him what had happened. And he got on the phone and started booking gigs in New York. I would have thought about, he'd say, "Here's the van. Let's all get in. We're getting out of town now." Yeah, what well, well, he did. He said, "We're, we're going to New York." Um, so, yeah, but he had to book gigs. So we we rang a booking agent that Gary sort of knew in in New York, and about. Five days later, um, we left. We and drove I... to New York from LA. So what happens? We... Gigs? 
we, we started gigging in LA, but what we didn't realize was that the guy who, who Gary rang to book the gig was also a, a close friend of the people that... Um, known as Freddie, yeah. Yeah, people known as Freddie. When we got there, we had about five guests booked. Four of them said, we don't want you to get your gear out. We don't want you. And then it came from, come from Freddie. Uh, the, four, the last gig we went to was Great Gildersleeves in the Bowery. Yeah. And believe it or not, Hell's Angels were headquarters, were just around the corner. They'd actually heard about Mother Goose from Hell's Angels Australia. Right. I think that sounds ridiculous because we don't really seem like a bike stand. But they were welcome with open arms at this great Gildersleeves club. Um, they didn't know in the club, but they did security and they were there all the time. You know? So we, we sort of got a residency at the great Gildersleeves, which was great because uh, we played there like three, eight, three nights a week. So and then go straight for the airport get out out of town. Well, yeah, we were a little concerned with that. But we were there for a reason. We were trying to get a record deal. So how so long did you stay in New York for? About four months, right through winter. My God, um, four months. So you're gigging right through this. Yep, yep. So we, we did it. Yeah, we did a few gigs in New Jersey. We did the body shop in New Jersey. With, um, was it work? We, were punters, you know, was it really starting to happen or not really? It was. We, we we were pulling. We, we got to play the bitter end and and tracks and all, all the good clubs in in New York. And we were we even got a write up in Variety that said we were you know said we were great. And, mm. um, and we we were getting we there was a bit of talk about it. You know, and Paul Stanley and Ace Freely came to see us a couple of times, and I got to chat to them about it. And um, the Hell's Angels offered us protection from the. Yeah. Um, really good too. And then we didn't have to talk like that anymore. Um, <laughs> and um, so we were doing quite well there. But, would you, but we were would, running you, out of- would you never answer the phone? The phone rang. Don't answer that phone. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, well, no, Gary did though. But, but we never heard from him again. Yeah. Um, so but, yeah, four months on. So four months on, you decide you're coming back. And to we Australia. got and we we got a meeting with Sid Bernstein too. He managed John. Well, he managed John Lennon for for America and stuff like that. Right. Uh, and he liked the band and he sort of said he'd represent us in New York. Um, but he was very old at that stage, actually, and I don't think he really did anything. Um, but we got we got a couple of <laughs> we got a few record labels to come and see us. One was um, Earl McGrath from Roll, Rolling Stones Records came to see us because he heard we did a great version of Painted Black. But he, he came to see us and he, unfortunately he was sitting at a table sort of close to the stage. And Dwarf the Bumblebee used to like running running along tables and things. Uh, yeah, and on this particular occasion, he ran along <laughs> he ran, ran along the um, the table at front of stage. Didn't sleep, and, did he? And well, the whole table broke oh, in fantastic. the middle. Fantastic. And he right in front of Bill McGrath and his wife. All, all the drinks. Everything. Oh no! We, we, we still laugh about it to this day. And that's ti- that's time to leave town, isn't it? It's time to leave all, town. All, all, I know, I know. All the champagne and stuff went all over them, and they walked out in disgust. And 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 Dwarf broke the broke the neck off his SG as well. Oh, and he was still laughing. He oh, was still laughing. He was still laughing, and the whole crowd was laughing hysterically. Oh my god! As people did through Mother Goose gigs. So, but that's that sort of messed that up. So in in the end, our 
visas ran out. And we're not sure if that, or there was also a bit of pressure from the Freddies over that. Yeah. Uh, but um, and we run out of money. Um, so so it's on a plane back to back Australia. Back to Australia. Back now, to Australia. Now, could yeah. you actually, were you, i got to say it honestly, were you even still known here? Because that's what happens when you go away for 6, 12 months. That's know. like I said, Vince. We, we left, we shouldn't have left Australia, we did. We should have, we should have hung in another year or so, I think. Yeah. Uh, but but we were just overexcited about yeah. everything. As we, everybody we, would be. Yeah. I was 20, I'm, I'm 22 years old. Yeah. You know, I, I just wanted to get keep going, you know. And you're right, everyone was at the time. Um, and so, yeah, our crowds had dropped when we got back because mm. uh, this is now early 1979. So mm. we, it's almost a year. Now, punk, punk's a, really set in too, hasn't it, punk rock? And that as well. Yeah, but there's still, you know, Chisel was huge and the Angels. And, uh, that, that was still, this is 1979. It was all at its peak, really. So, but we had to sort of build the crowds back up over the next three months, and then we recorded the fairy tales album at Richmond Recorders, mm, famous recording studio, and um, yeah, uh, with um, Ralph Moss, an American producer, uh, who was really good, um, and and released that at the end of '79, and just went back on the road for another three years. Yeah. Uh, yep. Um, changing costumes all the time. We sort of, um, yeah, the the Keystone Cop, well, actually, I, I reckon Mother Goose was kind of like Disneyland on speed. That's a good way of putting it. I mean, I wanna, yeah. you know, you have, a, you have a look, you've done all those years. Let's think, we, we were talking back then, late 76, early 77, it's coming to Australia. Uh, you've got all these years, we're getting to probably 1982, because that's when you do your next record, This Is The Life. Yeah. Now, yep. that's a long, long time, and you've only got three records and you go to today in that amount of time you yep. probably would add six records out um, and so it was it was totally different because you did work on an album basis not really a single basis uh, of releasing singles and all that hard yeah, work exactly. and you know, yeah. I'm going to be I'm going to be brutal with you and go all that hard work what were you thinking then was you know was there the possibility that was going to break for you internationally because if you go back to when you said you're in LA mate you were so yep. lucky um, I disagree that you probably should have left it a year I always say get to America as soon as you can right and if you've got okay. any chance yep. of becoming yep. huge you got to take it and you did we, take we it, thought right? so too so, yeah. and the band maybe because it was Disneyland on speed I don't know but it, it worked in America too. So you it know, worked at every gig we played in America. So you get to you get to eighty two and you miss this album out. But what were you yep. thinking? Was it still the possibility that you're going to make it? And what I mean by um, that is make the millions, the millions. That's what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. I guess that's what we wanted, but Mother Goose wasn't really set up. Oh, yes, we were. We wanted to be. We wanted to be huge. Well, I'm not. I'm not going to say. You know, I don't like to say you're just chasing money because. But to make the millions gives the ability yeah. to continue on recording and doing what you want to do and live exactly. and live yeah. a yeah. life, right? Exactly. Pe- people don't yeah. realise that you're living on bread and water. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what happens well, in 82? What were you thinking? What was happening? Um, in 82, we, well, at the end of 81, we recorded This Is The Life album in Perth, actually, because yeah. um, we were we sort of based in Perth for about three months uh, to record the album and, and then just uh, take some time off in Perth. Just loved it over there, actually. Um, 
And so we did a, yes, we were still hoping. And we actually thought Margarita and me, the first single off This Is Alive, might do something. We did a really good film clip for it. And we we ditched all the Disney Keystone Cops outfits, but we still were, we were still outrageous. We were still wearing, you know, bright pink jumpsuits. And, you know, more, more like, still like later tubes. Well, it was still, yeah, so it's still a visual show. Oh, completely. It was still yeah. all choreographed. Yeah. Um, and funny and yeah, but we so we took this as a life, but we were see because of baked beans, we didn't get a lot of airplay mm. after because it was a seen as a novelty song, but we still feel that was very representative of the band live at the time, and it was a hit. Got so I got people coming out to see us, yeah, absolutely, and that sort of and we became a, a really big live band in Australia. So what are you and doing still, in 82? We still thought in 82, yeah. we could still be, we were a good band, and we thought we were, we were still writing good material. Um, so we put out This Is The Life album um, on, on parole this time. Ah, oh, parole. Uh, well, parole we're, put we're, out The Boys. Remember The Boys? Yeah, yep. Yeah, boys from, from Perth. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. yeah, same label. So, and the Venetians. Yeah, the Venetians. Yep, yep. Yeah. Mm. Um, that was the, uh, David Sinclair. Yeah. Tried yes. to sign the Venetians, um, yeah. Yeah, so we did the same deal with them um, that we retained... Ownership. We, yep. we retained ownership of the master tape. Very similar to Hunters and Collectors. That's what they did. They used to just deliver the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More or the same deal with them, but we had to pay back the expense of the album of signing OC. So that was the deal there. Um, in, so, the, yeah. in the end, David Sinclair just gave me the tapes anyway. <laughs> uh, but... Um, so then you're uh, on the road they, promoting. They it up for a while. So you're and on, we're the, on the yeah. back on the road, but our plan is to return to America again, okay. um, which actually turned out to be Canada. Um, Old. Yeah, that, we, we're used to that, but we. Really, do, do, you <laughs> so, know what, do you know why I say that? I interviewed Chris Stockley from the Dingoes. Yeah. And they ended up, after the Leonard Skinner debacle, you know, and whatever, and they were managed by the same management company, and they went to, the, I think, Vancouver or wherever in Canada, and he said, I had to get out because he was up there with Country Radio, you know, uh, Greg Quill. And, oh, yeah. And yep. he said, I had to get out. He said, I couldn't handle the weather. It's too cold. He said, that's it. I'm never going back. He said, I couldn't live in England. It's too cold. <laughs> yeah, but remember, we're from Dunedin. I know. You're, yeah. you're acclimatised. It's a walk in the park, yeah. yeah. Even driving so, through the snow, no problem at all. So this time you're yeah. in Canada. Yes. So so we got our visa, uh, booking agency got our visas for us and everything. We went to Canada. And the tube, tubes are Canadian too, aren't they? No, I think they're American. Are they? Fee Wabel. Fee Wabel, it's the same. Yeah, okay. the singer. Um, you know, they're American, aren't they? Are they? Go on. Yep, so we went to America, started gigging around. Yeah. Same thing happened, even though it was a different-looking band by the stage, but that was kind of okay, okay for Canada. Um, and, you, and you need to develop anyway. I mean, it'd been six, seven years. I mean, you, you need to develop. You can't be the same band doing the same thing. No, especially Mother Goose. And this, yeah. we, we couldn't keep that up forever, yeah. even physically, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, but, but yeah, so we're different band altogether, like great crowds again, we built up a following in Vancouver and then we went on the road. Um, in Vancouver, we actually switched booking agents too. We, we went for, um, the booking agents that's, um, that's run by Brian Adams management. Oh yeah. Yep. So we sort of got in with them, and then we went on the road through uh, through British Columbia and into um, into uh, Cal- we were playing in Calgary. So when are we talking? Eighty two, eighty three. 
this is no, it's 84. 84. So we're, oh, we're, we're on okay. the road still yeah. in Australia um, for all, all of 82, all of 83. Mm. Um, and recording new songs, stuff like that. Um, but this is a life. We go to Canada. This is a life didn't sell very well. Yeah. But what, uh, one single off it got a lot of airplay. It, it's weird. It, was, it sounds like Newcastle and Wollongong. Um, we had huge crowds there. It was because the Lonely Girls was actually getting airplay oh, yeah. off that album. Um, so that sort of kept us going and kept the crowds up. And we, yeah, so at, so at the end of '83, we're starting to think, let's give it another go. So turned over. It, it turned out that Vancouver was the kind of the best place to go all around. Um, and our management at the time, which was Boulevard, mm. uh, yeah, uh, mm. but they had some con- con- some contacts at Vancouver. Oh yeah, but I don't want to talk too much about that. No. But um. Yeah, but anyway, we're, so we're, we're on the road through the snow, and we get to Calgary and Edmonton. We're actually playing a gig one night and getting good crowds, and it's going really well. We're thinking there's something happening here, and if we can get a record deal in Canada. Yeah. Uh, and also, we were planning to fly some people up from LA to see the band. Um, and well, and we thought this would be a great place for us to live. We, we love Vancouver, um, and we thought if we can score a deal in Canada, we'll live here. No okay. problem. So what happened? So we're but we're in Calgary playing, and a, a guy. This is Calgary's in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's like a guy from the immigration department turns up and said we're working on illegal visas because we switched booking agencies. Yeah, you're effed over again. Yeah. So what's the so, story? You got to leave Canada. Uh, we had to go. <laughs> the whole band had to drive down to Seattle states. Uh, yeah. Um, and renew our work visas from there. Yeah, because you've got to be out of the country to do it. So, okay, so let's keep yeah. this moving. So we do yep. that. So you yep. go back to Canada, yeah? Yes. So you start working. But what's happening is it's, okay, so the crowds are building. We can only get one month at a time. Oh, right. So that's, the yeah. Oh, no, we, we know where this is heading already. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can't so, work on that so basis. We, we, went, we went back, the more gigs around Vancouver. Yeah. Um, got Brian's manager down to see us, but he passed. Um, you know, visas ran out again, and the, you know, we were running out of money again, to be honest. So I actually wanted to stay, but I got outvoted on that because, and understandably, <laughs> yeah. I got, understandably, because it, it was another hopeless situation. It's just one of those things. So I came back home, back on the road again in Australia, and it just, and uh, December of that year, where eighty five, no, December of eighty four. Yeah. So we've been in, been in uh, Vancouver. We've been in Canada about three months. Back uh, here. Back here on back on the road. Um, uh, did some more recording in Melbourne. Then back on the road. Uh, in driving back from Kalgoorlie in a Tarago, Kalgoorlie to Perth one morning at about four a.m. The band breaks up. Exactly. I said, does anyone else, uh, well, do you think we should break up? Martel said, can we? <laughs> <laughs> so that was And it. that was it. So, yeah. so we played out, actually, strangely enough, we, we, played, we played all the gigs over Christmas, New Year. Yeah. Um, in Perth, which is exactly where we've been in 77, uh, 76. And, and yeah, we, we never really officially broke up, but we said, let's give it a miss. Um, so we does, everybody tell go, does everybody go back to New Zealand or stay in Australia? Um. Pete and I and Martel came back back to Melbourne, so did Dwarf, 
eventually, but he stayed in Perth for a while. Join any other bands? No, no. Dwarf, Dwarf never did. He always, he always expected to uh, Mother Goose to get back together again, so, which is really strange because we always used to tease Dwarf about the fact that he never actually officially joined. He was always like, yeah, I think I'll join. And that went on for about uh, nine years. So what does everybody go off and do? <laughs> get a job? So No, no. God, no. no. Um, uh, Steve, Steve uh, went back to Dunedin um, and started up a, a video company. So I guess he did put a job, started up a video company, um, but kept writing songs. Um, and Dennis eventually went, Dennis bass player eventually went back to Dunedin. Uh, he started up uh, a tiles and architectural windows company. Uh but Pete, Pete and Marcel and I came back to Melbourne um, and formed a band called Sport of Kings with two that. other guys. I know, I know that band. If we put something out of... No, because tapes were fading in and out. Oh, yeah, so gotcha, you, yeah. you remember that. Oh, I've heard but, yes, I've but heard We're still going to talk about that, though. Yeah. Because um, uh, there was a really good band musically. So, so and how... those, those demos... Those demos do sound pretty good, actually. It's just that the tracks were a bit too damaged. I know. Um, so we um, we had supported Kings going, uh, and then we and we supported Queen at the um, entertainment centre. So um, I saw you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so I, I have been I have been kissed by Freddie on the left, but Freddie. not the Freddie. I, not not the Freddie I was talking about earlier. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we went out, we, uh, Pete and I went out every night with um, with Brian and Roger too under the underground and got really pissed. Oh, it was really fun. I mean, that, um, that's a one in a million. That's great, isn't it? Oh, well, it was fantastic, yeah. So, yep. um, okay. And, and, and then, then, and then, yeah, then we formed Incredible Penguin, uh, oh, which yeah, was through the yeah. Beaumont Pump. Yeah. They, they wanted Pete and I to put a band together mm. for the boat for the Beaumont pub circuit to to support Pingers as well. That's right. Um, I remember so, clearly um, the incredible Pingers. So that was yeah. Marcel and Pete and I and uh, uh, and old mate Mori Matthews on bass. That's right. So we had both both was he bands. From Mio two four five. No, he wasn't from Mio two four five, was he? No, no. He was a DJ for Bowman at the time, oh, but he was okay. a great singer and a great bass player. Oh. Um, so we got that going, and we we just um, we uh, I, I was a singer, but um, we, had a we mild got, hit with that. I remember it. Oh, uh, uh, number one has. Well, did it go to number one? Yeah, well, I thought it was that, a mild hit. Yeah, that okay, was a, number one. That, yeah, okay. That was a charity record for That's the. Right. Um, yeah, I remember it clearly. For, for the penguins of Phillip Island, but we got all the um, all the singers who had done spots at the pubs with us, like like Henry Anderson had done one, Mark Hunter, Steve Gilbert. Right. It was Gilders, a big crowd on the video, wasn't there, singing it? Yeah, like everyone's on it. It's, yeah. it was um, John Lennon's Happy Christmas War. That's over. the one. That's the one. Yeah, and of course Molly got involved. Well, oh, well uh, here we go. Molly Molly produced it. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, he tried. Uh, <laughs> um, in between, and, in between bourbons, yeah, yeah, between champagne, yeah. was at that time, oh. yeah, yeah. Uh, and other stuff, uh, and um, and but everyone from like John Farnham, Vanetta Fields, Colin Hewitt, Colin Hay, God, he's a great singer, that mm. man. Um, uh, Brian Cannon, Brian Mannix, uh, uh, Ron Martini from Dear Enemy, he's a great singer. That's right. And Wendy, yeah. what Wendy, happened to Wendy, him? Wendy, yeah. Yeah, he's still around, I think. Don't know what he's doing. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, Dear Enemy, that'd be a good band to put out. I'd be great. I think we did try and approach them. There's certain bands, well, there's certain bands, what happens is, you know, this is, this happens, there's certain bands that live within Square. Just can't talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> 
they don't want to release anything or yeah, they, yeah. Oh, we, were also, a, we were yeah. with a major or we were with EMI and you know they own all our things and I think that's uh, probably what happened with their enemy because yeah. they, they were with oh, was it CBS or BMG or something yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know yeah, yeah. but um, Martin Fisher from the, the keyboard player from their enemy actually joined the Penguins too actually he, he was there um, so yeah so we released that Happy Christmas song and that, that actually went to number one because Molly pushed it on Countdown and everything oh. as well um, so uh, but yeah that was a huge hit uh, so we kept the Incredible Penguins going and we um, and Sport of Kings but we didn't get a deal with Sport of Kings either God I don't know why um, so in 87 I, I've i been writing songs with different people over all through this period and in 87 I decided to go over to the States um, under Craig James, A, because I was still a bit worried about the Freddies, um, so I thought I'd use a different name, and it just sounds better. So, so uh, in 87... So I went over to get it, 87, I went over trying to get a solo deal. LA I didn't realise that that... LA. LA, yeah. Also, also went to New York, but I was mainly in LA. So tell me, how long so, were you over there for? Um, how many years? Oh, no, well, I didn't miss in years. All, I, all up, I reckon I've spent about... Two years of my life in America now. Right. Um, I, I sort of I went over for about three months the first time and just yeah. shopping the tapes around. Yeah. I didn't really realise at the time that you've got to have a lawyer and you've got to have yeah. a manager and stuff. Uh, otherwise, it's very hard to. So, were you doing any gigs over there while you're there, or no, just recording? No, just, just me on my me on my own. Um, okay, so you do about three months. Have you got some yeah. recordings done? Uh, yes, I flew up to Vancouver. Uh, Back to the well, snow that, territory. No, yeah. uh, that was the next year. Uh, 87, I was just shopping for a record deal. Hardly got to see anybody. Uh, they all liked the songs, but nothing happened. Uh, so I organised a lawyer. Uh, he did nothing either. Because you've just got, uh, most of the companies over there, you've got to have a lawyer and get your tapes for them. You well, know? The lawyers were all into wine. I'll tell you, lawyers, for everybody listening, the lawyers are into wine with the record companies. And they basically used to, back yeah. then, bring yep. the acts in to the record company, you, you got to sign these guys, and yep. uh, and they'd sign them, and the lawyer would write up the agreement, and it's all a bit of feedback and money going both ways, and uh, yeah, and that's the way it was. It was quite corrupt in its sense, you know. Um, yeah. So yes, you need your lawyer. So what's happened? Then you're back to Australia. I forgot to mention the reason we what, the other reason we went to America was that John Kalodna from who was at Atlantic Records in LA at that stage, was in Melbourne for something else. But he came to see it, um, and he loved the band. And he went back to LA, and he told a few people about us, uh, but unfortunately one of them was the Freddies, oh. and they got in touch and They got oh. in touch with us. And that's, that's how that happened. Are, so you, go are back. you coming back to the States? Yeah, yeah. And you said, no, I won't be back. No, I don't think so. <laughs> But I, I did see John Claude when I went back in '87, though, and he said, "Oh, yeah." And he so he put me on to a couple of people to go and see. But it was after a couple of months; it was just too hard on my own. Mm. So I went back, back to Australia, back into the Penguins, um, and but only for a year. And then in '88, I went back to LA. But I, but first, I went to Vancouver because um, by that stage, Brian. Adam's management company, uh, Bruce Allen, was just setting up his first album and uh, his first um, 
record label and the kids from Mother Goose, the second keyboard player in Mother Goose, was actually living in Vancouver. And I sent him a tape and he sent the tape into Bruce Allen and it, um, he was sort of interested. So he lined up, they lined up a recording session for me. So I flew to Vancouver and went with Brian McLeod. Brian McLeod was through the band called Headpin. Oh yeah, Headpin. Really, yeah, Headpin. No, well, yeah, we released it like at Liberation, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Hard, uh, hard rock band. Yeah, really hard rock, yeah. He was known as Too Loud in the Cloud, actually, yeah. <laughs> which is perfect for me. Uh, and what a talent. Incredible singer. Uh, played everything. So we got into his boat, the Grand Marnier, and did a lot of drinking and had a lot of fun. Um, and he knew ev- everyone. I even met Phil Collins from um, Def Leppard on that boat. Um, and all sorts of people. John Candy. He knew, knew John Candy, the comedian. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, we just we just had an absolute ball. We recorded. Uh, he played everything: guitar, keyboard, drums, everything. Um, and we did the backing vocals together. I recorded four songs. Um, then he took them into the record company. I've been talking to the head of. John Ford, uh, uh, his name was John Ford, um, and he'd gone a bit cold on us. Uh, and then, God, I've had a lot of bad luck. Uh, <laughs> uh, Brian, Brian Adams' manager arrived back from a European tour and closed down the record label. He didn't want to go on with it. So that was it. So that's closed down. So you're out, yeah. out of the job there. So I'm what, out of the so job there. Back home? So Brian McLeod gave me a couple of contacts in in LA. Mm-hmm. This is late eighty eight LA. Um, first time, uh, no, that was nineteen eighty nine. How do you find anywhere to live? How are you getting any money to live? Um, yeah, that was just money for an incredible thing. We were, we were making good money in those days. Wow. Um, and, and also, I had a couple of people I knew in LA. Mm. So luckily, I could crash them. I, I could. And Justin Carthy, the second guitarist in. Um, Mother Goose, yeah. In Mother Goose. He joined in New York, actually. He left for a couple of years and then he came back. Uh, uh, but he, he he went back to the States. So he was good enough to put me up for about two months at a time. So that was great. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the first time I went to Vancouver, the record company was paying for a, a, a little flat for me. Yeah. So that, that was great. Uh, but, yes, it was still a stretch. It was still a stretch. So you get to L.A. and what happens? So I get so I get to L.A. and Brian McLeod has put me on to um, Lisa Wells, the head of publishing at, um, at Geffen Records. Don't start me with publishers. No. I oh, know. God. You, Don't start uh, me with she, publishers. But, I'm but not Lisa sure was, what they think they do when they're going to break an act. It's like, are you, are you kidding me? You're going to break they, an act as a publisher? Yeah, no. And they never do anything. Nothing. Do nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. They never placed one of my songs, never anything. And like, luckily all the publishing is still free for the fairy tales. That <laughs> and the, uh, oh no, no mushroom has still got the publishing. For, for Stuffed, for, have they? So stuff, dad, fairy tale. So you're unrecouped. You're unrecouped. Yep, but no, oh. nothing ever since. Yep. Uh, uh, so I went to Lisa, and she listened to this to my stuff, to my songs, mm. and she said, you know, "These aren't really right for the publishing company." Uh, and I said, "Well, I really, I don't really want a publishing job. I was really hoping to see someone at, at the record label if I could." And she said, "You know, I was just thinking that she said, a lot of this stuff sounds a bit like the Peter Gabriel, Phil Collins vein." And I said, "Oh, thank God you said that because you know." I'm a huge fan of Peter Gabriel. Um, uh, and she said, I, I reckon the guy to see uh, 
is Gary Gersh, who's um, Gary Gersh, yeah, no, Gary Gersh, yep, yeah. yep, yep, who's um, signed Peter Gable to the label two years ago. Look what happened with him. Oh, Gary Gersh, yeah, yeah, no, Gary, Gary Gersh did sign Jimmy. It was um, it was, was a guy signed. Go- no, it was, a, it was the guy who signed Guns N' Roses, and actually, I think it was Don Colodna. To do a lot I, with Gary Gersh at Mushroom, a lot. Yeah. Oh, he was the, he, he was the big wheel, yeah. Oh. He was just about running Geffen at that stage. And so I got to see it, and he loved three of the songs. Yeah. Um, and he said, have you got any more? I gave him some more. And he asked a lot of questions, and, you know, how did you get to see me was one of them. <laughs> Because I had no manager, nothing. Um, and I said, well, if you if you want to ask it, that I, if I'm good live, to start John, John Colodna, because he saw my old band years ago. Um, so I gave him another tape. He called me in again and said, look, I've given this a lot of thought, Craig, but I'm going to have to say no because I'm about to move to Atlantic Records and be vice president. Now, I'm not sure if this ever came off or not. Yeah. Um, he said, so I'm, I'm leaving Geffen, and I think you're actually really good for Geffen, but I'm not sure with this whole new gig I'm taking on, I'm, I'm just not sure, so I'll have to say no. Um, but keep in touch uh, and keep writing, you know, same old thing. Oh, yeah, I've heard it all before. Yep, so, th- so that was it. That was but it. I was thrilled back, it. Back to Australia. Yeah, back to Australia. Um and back to the Penguins for a short while. Then I actually flew back to Vancouver and wrote some songs with Big Johnson from Loverboy. Oh, yeah. And went back to LA one more time. Um, and I still didn't have a manager. But I'd been to a few people, so I went I went back. I didn't go back to Geffen because they didn't want to see me. Uh, but um, got a little bit happening, but again... So now we're just getting... Don't, so we're just getting, don't think I had the contact, yeah, you gotcha. know. So you're getting so the territory. What are you so going to do to live? So the end of 989, I came back, formed a little trio called Quando, Quando, Quando. Oh, Requando, um, Quando. Because I was speaking we, to this we, guy we, called Grant Miller, and he said he was yeah, in, a, yeah, yeah, in yeah. a band called Touche, I think he said to me. I think he said Touche. <laughs> and I said, that rings, I didn't tell him it was you, and I said, there's this guy told me he was in a band called Quando, Quando, Quando. I said, think about that. Touche, Quando, Quando, Quando. <laughs> Grant was doing. It was all. It was all. Um, it was all sequenced. Um, the keyboard player had everything sequenced or programmed. Yeah. And Grant and I sang, and Grant played um, percussion and sang, and we all sang. So you're making um, plenty of money was, with Quando, Quando, Quando. We we were doing really well with that. Yeah. And we played. We played. Remember Joey's in South Yarra? We played there yeah. three yeah. nights a week. Yeah, remember years. well. But, but we were doing six, seven nights a week. And that, that was like 1990 till about 97. So what's, I mean, so that's it. That's what you're doing. And what so happens, that's it. What happens after 97? Um, it, in the year 2000. Yeah. Um, no, no, in January the 1st, 2000. Yeah. I was playing in the Baker Boys in Darwin with Pete from Mother Goose on guitar and uh, Martin Fisher and uh, Martin Fisher on a keyboards from Dear Enemy and in Peter Leslie. In Darwin. Yeah, in Darwin. They had a residency in Darwin in the same pub. Uh, I can't get excited city. about that one. No, well, I used to go up for uh, like two months at a time. Um, and so, so did Brian Maddox and um, Ron Martini and, 
we just did it in rotation. So. But on that night, I can't actually, I think it might have been New Year's Eve. You decided um, this was 1999. Yeah. Um, actually, a German backpacker who would have been about 21 years old uh, walked up to the stage and yelled at me, play small cons of water. And this is New Year's Eve coming into the year 2000. And something just broke in me. And I thought, actually, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> 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 I mean, they're yelling, a 21-year-old German just yelled out the same song people yell out when I was playing in a band in Dunedin in, in 1975. 1973. That, so that's it. So that was it. That's it. I've finished. And you... Did you not play again after that? No. no. My next gig was two, 2007 with Mother Goose Reformed to play at the Dunedin Heritage uh, concert mm. at the Regent in Dunedin. It was the same theatre that Mother Goose had played in 1977 before we left to, to go to America. So what are we... So, yeah. so, yeah. You've, so you've essentially retired. So what can we expect from Craig Makian? Look, I sort of disappeared for about 10 years, and I didn't write any songs or anything. Um, and I did a few trips around the world and went to places where I'd always wanted to go to, um, and then just hid. And I didn't want to know about music. And, and But the Mother Goose gig in, in 2007 sort of got me back into it, but still, still I haven't done a lot of gigs since Darwin in, in 2000. Yeah. Um, and... Probably never will again because I'm too old now. <laughs> well, what's that, well, what's um, but, that album? Lost songs, 2020. What's that? Yeah, but that was that, Yeah, that's in, in 2017. I got I lost. I got to remaster all the Mother Goose albums. Right. So, so the Lost Songs album, the fourth Mother Goose song, uh, fourth Mother Goose album, is songs from 1983 to 84 that were recorded at Platinum Studios. And, right. And, and at festival studios in Sydney and places like that. In the last year, year and a half, Mother Goose, right. last two years. So I, so I remastered the stuffed album in 2017, and then over the next three years, I remastered uh, the Don't Believe in Fairy Tales album and the uh, This Is the Life album. And then in 2020, I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Re- remastered nice. all, the, yeah. all the songs that had been in my cupboard 1984. And, and this is where we get to now. This is where we're at. Yeah, so that's have up you to got, now. So is there anything new coming from Craig Mackian? Yes, from Craig James Johnston McCann. Yeah. Um, McCann, McCann. <laughs> yes. Look, the first album, as you know, Vince, is already out on laneway. Craig yes. James, oh, Waiting yes. for Utopia. But that's all sounds from, that's from 86 to about 89. And those songs I was telling about I wrote in Canada and state yeah. and Australia. Yeah. And that's all from there. Um, the next Craig Baines album are songs that I wrote between 1990 and about 95. When can we expect a release? When can we expect a release? I'm remastering that as we speak. Yeah. And I've also been writing some songs. Oh, um, my God. Are you serious? Yeah, so I, we've got some new I, stuff. Just, I just got back into writing songs with my remaster buddy, actually, yeah. Johnny Nowers. Yeah. Um, in, tw- in 2020, we wrote three songs together. We haven't mixed them yet, um, two years later, but <clears throat> he's coming around here in a couple of weeks' time, and we're going to so remix them. Let's, let me get this right. Twenty. Uh, yeah, go on. And? Yeah, t- in 2020, I, I wrote wrote some new songs, just getting back into it. Uh, but now I'm working with with Grant Miller from Quando Quando and Death Rhyme. Touche, yeah. Um, yes, 
from Touche, uh, and um, we've we've almost finished two songs, and there's about three or four more on on the on the go. I can't so that's wait. our project at the moment, which will be under a under a band name. I'm not yeah. sure what yet. Probably Touche. <laughs> I say touche to you, touche, yeah. touche to you with a little handkerchief, yes. you know. <laughs> so for everybody, so this, everybody listening, yeah. there's actually, when you think about that, it's quite a lot coming out then. So there's the things you wrote with your your mastering buddy, and that was in 220, yep. which you've still got a mix. I mean, that's been nearly yep. three yep. years, so you better get to mixing those. And then exactly. we've got the new touche stuff happening, which exactly. uh, were another four or five songs, yeah? Yes, yes. We're, we're working on those at the moment, and it's, I'm, I'm actually drawing writing songs again, which I already never was. That's fantastic. Um, Look, to get those creative juices happening, Craig, and just to and enjoy I, I ne- it for I, what I it never is. Stop, yeah, exactly. And I never stop writing. I'm always writing. But over the last, you know, 25 years, I'm still writing little bits of prose and poems and stuff, which, I, which I'm using a few of those for the new stuff. They still work. You know, you know, I see what... And I, and I co-wrote three screenplays during that oh, time off. Too. Oh, okay. So I've, I've always been writing yeah. physically, you know. I see what, um, so, I see but, what but, Marcel's yeah. doing, and I, I see Marcel is just constantly working day in, day out. That guy never yeah. stops. Well, he's, he's writing songs with Dennis, the bass player from Mother Goose. Oh, that's Ricky yeah. Orbit. Is that Ricky Orbit, is it? Ricky Orbit, yeah, yeah. and there's some great stuff on there, too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And it sounds great. Oh, I agree with you. I think it sounds yeah. I've got it on one of our playlists. It's fantastic. Um, and Steve's still writing songs. Look, some of them are fantastic. I don't know. I keep telling him to send some to you. Well, you should, should, should tell him properly. Okay. Well, you should, you should recommend us, and um, we'd love to. I have. We time and time again. Yeah. So, well, look, it's been great talking to you. You know, we've been on the phone now for an hour and 40 minutes. Um, I know. Look, I'm not. I'm, I'm just, I was really excited about it. Well, that. I'd like to talk to you again probably in 6 to 12 months and see whether any of these songs see the light of day. So we've got another Craig James album Great. to come out. Great. And we've got more, let's call it today, more contemporary songs from today because they're, yes. they're written today. So potentially yeah, we could exactly. have two albums from you. Yes, yep. Oh, fantastic. And thanks for, give, and thanks for giving me a deadline. Oh, that's for no. Because they take way too long. Well, I don't want to do die. Anything. I don't want to die before I hear them. You know, I mean, I'm exactly. No, I'm no well, spring, me neither. I'm no spring chicken. You know. Well, how do you think I feel then? It's been great talking <laughs> to you, Craig, and uh, it's been wonderful. Then. And I say we would love to catch up with you with you in say six to twelve and see whether these have come to fruition. And and that's and maybe you know uh, I'll get right onto it. Yeah, and I'd like to even do a kind of a review on them. So anyway, it's been great talking to you, Craig, and. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very Thank much you, for being on Laneway Talks. Good on you, Vince. Take care. See you, Craig. Bye. See you, mate. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it, another Laneway Talks. If you enjoyed that, just search Laneway Talks for more great conversations. G'day, folks. Mark Allen here and... The Ox, David Schwartz. Uh, and we've started a brand-new podcast called... A Couple of Blokes, A Couple of Beers, and we're just chewing the fat. Couple of Blokes, Couple of Beers, with Ox and Marco. I'm thinking about whitening my teeth just so when I smile... There's a new episode every Wednesday. Have you got a weight issue? Of course I do. <laughs> it's a stupid loaded question. A Couple of Blokes, Couple of Beers, with David Schwartz and Mark Allen. I'm eating the kids' Maltese. You're eating their of... Christmas present. I am a piece of garbage. <laughs> Listen wherever you get your podcasts.